Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Father, I, um, I praise you. And I come to you um, bowing down at your throne. And I worship you with my whole heart, with my, my mind and my spirit. I just praise you and I give you honor and I give you glory. I thank you for your love and your grace in our life. Lord, right now we, we are feeling uh, the, uh, uh, the warfare that's going on above us in the heavenlies. And uh, we've seen things down here on earth that uh, is just a manifestation of, of what is going on in the heavenlies. And we just pray right now, Lord, that you would send angels, that you would strengthen the angels that are fighting these things, that you would strengthen them, that you would embolden them to over, overcome the evil. And uh, the evil, evil uh, spirits that are, are um, uh, causing chaos and confusion, we bind you in the name of Jesus. Be bound. And you go to where Jesus tells you to go. And we just pray that in the name of Jesus right now, that peace and shalom will be in this place. And we ask that you'll be with our sister here as she tries to teach, as she gives us your, uh, your words. And we give you, uh, give you all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to pray again. I've, I have just been feeling um, a lot of tenderness in my heart today with the Lord, and um, I, just, I just feel Holy Spirit. There's times when it's like, when you know, we worship all the time, but there's times when you begin to worship, and it's like you can feel the manifest presence of God just moving in your heart. I've been feeling that a lot today, and um, so I just want to pause for a minute. And Father, I just, God, I just recognize and I thank you, Lord, for the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And God, I just know that that is, um, even as we fasted this last week, God, that you open those things up more to us to, to feel and sense your presence. God, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us and you open our hearts up more. And so, Holy Spirit, I just thank you. I thank you for your presence in our lives. I thank you for the manifest presence of your comfort and your strength and your nearness. And Lord, I just ask that you would come and minister tonight. Come and quiet our hearts. Lord, come and draw us to Jesus. Come and fill us afresh tonight, Holy Spirit. And just declare, God, that we belong to you. We are yours. We are yours, God. Amen. All right. Well, so in case you missed it, I'm just going to give a, a real quick recap. Um, what I've been talking about is 
in the Gospels when Jesus said pray, looking at specific times that he commanded us to pray and looking at kind of why he said to pray in those instances. Uh, so the first week we really looked at uh, Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer. And um, I just wrote things up here. Sorry, Gary, no pictures. <laughs> He's disappointed in me. <laughs> um, so Matthew 6 was looking at our daily devotional prayer life. Daily, what are the things that the Lord um, is commanding us to pray about that keeps our hearts in proper alignment with Him? Um, the second week, we really looked at um, the intensity of the end of the age that's coming and that Jesus commanded us to pray in the midst of that, that our hearts would not be weighed down. Um, I talked about the reality that we have to have strength in order to endure unto love, and that winning to, to love comes through the place of prayer. Um, so that's what we talked about last week. And um, I love this prayer from Colossians 1.11. So this is a good prayer to pray over your own heart or over your kids or anybody you know. Colossians 1.11, it says that you would be strengthened with power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. That's one of the apostolic prayers. Um, and that is something that we can ask the Lord. Lord, strengthen me with power according to your might according to God's might, strengthen me with power, strengthen my inner man. We are weak flesh that buckle under pressure quite quickly. <laughs> we need God's strength and he wants to give it to us according to his glorious power for all endurance, for all patience, and that we would have joy and be thankful to the Father. How, what happens when we get under pressure and under stress? Usually Thanksgiving goes, Forget, forget seeing what's good, forget being thankful, we start to complain and freak out. <laughs> so this prayer is literally asking God, Lord, help me choose to be thankful, see what I can be thankful for in the midst of pressure, and help like strengthen my inner man so that I can do that, so I can actually be obedient to you. Uh, I shared a quote last week um, that God's love language from us, like the way that we love God is through obedience. So we need to be strengthened in our inner man so that we can obey his commands, so we can love. Um, so this is just a great prayer. All right, uh, so tonight what we're gonna look at is our engagement in the harvest. So this is a third area. We're going to look at three different parts of scripture. A third area um, that when Jesus began commanding us to pray, he wants us to pray about our engagement with the harvest. Okay, so we're going to look at three different places in scripture for that. Um, and the reason why is God, he really does have a house and he wants it to be full. The father has a house and he longs for it to be full of the ones he created, the ones he created for himself. Uh, Matthew 22, nine, that's the parable of the, uh, the workers going out into the vineyard. And he says this, go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. That is God's heart 
saying he's having a wedding feast at the end of all this. There's a feast. It's Jesus's wedding when the bride and the bridegroom are coming together and God wants his house to be full. So go out into the highways and byways, tell as many people about this wedding feast that's coming up because I want a full party. Who wants to have an empty party? Does it make you feel terrible? <laughs> you make all these preparations and the house is not full. There's not that many people there. Um, God feels that too. He's like, hey, start inviting people to this glorious feast. Um, all right, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the reason why I'm reading these scriptures is basically to say we live in the days when we, we are called to call people to repentance, to call people to a wedding feast. We're living in a time of harvest, okay? So that is the, the day and age we're living in. God wants his house full, and he then begins to speak to us um, and commission us to pray in light of that. So um, let's look at Matthew 9 starting at verse 35. Okay, I'm just going to read it. It's just a few verses. It says, And Jesus went throughout all cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his, harvest into his harvest field. All right, so the first, um, as we look at this, what, the thing that I want to pull out is just this, this line of thinking. First, Jesus sees the multitudes his heart is moved with compassion. And from that place of compassion, he commands us to pray. So the first thing we need to understand is that um, when Jesus is looking out into, into the multitudes of people in the earth, he is seeing something that largely most of us don't. He is seeing people, multitudes, and he describes them in the ESV as in two ways, harassed and helpless harassed and helpless. There is probably no person on the earth that wants to think that they are weak, helpless, and harassed, <laughs> right? We want to project, I am strong, I'm confident, I have it together, I don't need help, right? Majority of the people, <laughs> okay? So, but when Jesus is looking out across the multitudes, what he is seeing is a people who don't have a shepherd and they are harassed and helpless. And as he sees, what that does in his heart is it draws up compassion. It draws up compassion because he knows that he has the very thing that they need in order to not be harassed and helpless anymore. And he's wanting to help them. Um, I'm gonna say this. Uh, so he says, pray for laborers to be sent out into the harvest field. Um, in verse 35, it says that Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing diseases and afflictions. Um, and in other parts of scripture, he was casting out demons and he also makes disciples. So when he's talking about praying laborers to go out into the harvest, he's praying for those who are doing the things that he's doing. 
those who are going out, talking about the kingdom, making disciples, casting out demons, healing sicknesses, meeting people's needs, right? So laborers, that's what Jesus was doing as he went out, and that is the thing that he was desiring. Um, okay, harassed. I want to talk about that real fast. So someone who is harassed, if you're harassed, sometimes you don't even really know why, but you know that there's a presence there messing with you. Um, a kid who is bullied at school can tell you that they're being harassed, right? It's uncomfortable, and you're pretty helpless um, to do anything against it. Um, and this makes me think of uh, all the different passages in Scripture that talks about our adversary who's literally coming after us, seeking whom he may devour, coming after us like a roaring lion. The enemy wants to harass us in every single way possible. We know that he's doing that. There are other people in the world, when we don't have biblical instruction, they're being harassed by the devil and they don't even know it. That's why when Jesus is looking out over the multitudes and they don't have a shepherd, his heart is being drawn with compassion because he's seeing that a lot of the times the choices that they're making is because they're being influenced by an enemy they don't even know is there. They don't even know the harassment that they might be being inflicted with. So Jesus begins to have compassion when he's looking out into the multitudes. He sees that they're helpless or lacking understanding of how to stand up for themselves, how to change things. They lack wisdom of, of how to be or to do differently. They cannot help themselves. So it's easy for us as Christians, especially if we've lived the whole life, our whole life in our church, which I have not, but <laughs> a lot of us have, <laughs> But to, we, we look at people in the world like, how could they do that? How could they make those choices? Because sometimes the choices that they're making are really bad. But again, we have to begin thinking biblically. There is an enemy and someone harassing them, helping motivate them to do things that is destructive to them. I mean, the enemy is doing it to us too, but again, we have some awareness. Multitudes who are out on their own, who are not under the covering of the church or any kind of spiritual authority, they're harassed and they're helpless. And Jesus is motivated with compassion when he begins seeing that. And instead of casting judgment, what he then does is say, oh my goodness, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest because these multitudes out there that are harassed and helpless, they need a shepherd. They need a shepherd to come in and, and labor in their midst. Um, and I want us to think about this because uh, I, just this concept of shepherding. Jesus is the chief shepherd, it says, and I think it's Second Peter, maybe First Peter. It's First Peter. He's, he's the chief shepherd. And we are sheep and Jesus is shepherding us. We have to think about how does the shepherd treat me how does he deal with me in my weakness and in my sins and in my failures? Because then anytime we go out to begin doing the work of the kingdom and try to release the kingdom, proclaim the kingdom or work with people who, who are unchurched and don't, don't know anything about the Lord or the Bible, we have to come from the perspective of how has the shepherd shepherded me? Because that's the same way 
that I'm supposed to shepherd, be a shepherd to those who have not been shepherded before. So um, in Matthew, I'm going to look at some verses where it talks about Jesus uh, being our shepherd. In Matthew 23, 37, uh, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem and it said he longed to gather gather the multitudes in Jerusalem under his wings. The, the picture is like a mother hen gathering her little chicks under its wings. Jesus as our shepherd is the one that wants to draw us in close to him to feel the warmth of his embrace and be protected and provided for beneath the shelter of his wings. In Isaiah 40, it, it talks about Jesus being the shepherd who gently leads the mothers with their young and I absolutely love that verse as a mom because there is a massive um, push as a mom to do more, be more, have it all together. And Jesus says he gently leads those who are with young. He has compassion. Um, Psalm 23, uh, there's several aspects of Psalm 23. Jesus as the shepherd, he's the one um, that uses his rod and staff to protect us from raging wolves and lions that come to steal, kill, and destroy, and even protect us from ourselves when we wander astray. John 10, Jesus as the shepherd is the one who wants to direct our life with his voice and speak to us every day. Jesus as our shepherd is the one who leads us to green pastures and still waters so that we have peace and restoration in our souls. That's fabulous. I'm just kidding. That's okay. Uh, Jesus as our shepherd is the one who wants to lead us in right paths to save us from the harmful consequences of sin. He's the one that wants to give us strength even amongst our enemies by preparing a table before us. And he's the one who eagerly and willingly offers oversight into our lives without being domineering or manipulative and is rather an example to us. That's, for, that's from 1 Peter 5. So I love looking at these depictions of Jesus as our shepherd, how he handles us, because when he's praying for labors to be sent out into the harvest field, he's wanting labors that are in agreement with his heart and how he handles sheep. Jeremiah 3.15 specifically says that. He says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So Jesus wants something to change for the multitudes that he sees and his heart is stirred in compassion for these ones. Um, and so his response to that, again, is first he sees and that's something that we can even pray for ourselves. God, help me to see what you see when you're seeing the multitudes. Like, do I think about our community? Do I think about our city? Do I think about our nation or the nations of the earth, the multitudes of people and God's heart to go out and harvest them? First, I have to see. So first I need to ask God, Lord, help me to see people the way that you see them. And once I see, Lord, help my heart move in compassion the way that, that you are. Because again, when we're seeing um, sin begin to arise, um, and when we're seeing uh, 
groups of people banding together to do wicked things. <laughs> I mean, I know if you look back at the last several years in our nation, um, some of the things that have happened, uh, I'm thinking of things with like BLM and what was that one group? I think it starts with an A. Antifa, yeah. Um, again, when we, when we see those types of things, it's more natural to begin to denounce what they're doing and find out all the ways they're wrong. And I'm not saying that, that that shouldn't happen, but what I am saying is on some level, Jesus's heart is that any person from those groups or even Hamas, his heart is full of compassion that they might come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved, come away from the hate, come into the place of love and come into the kingdom of God. So our natural response is to begin to put up walls and look at all the ways they're wrong and how we're right and they're sinners. Um, but Jesus is saying, hey, you need to have compassion. When I look at the multitudes, I see that they're harassed, they're led astray, they're deceived, and they're helpless. So where's your heart of compassion that then turns to me and says, Lord, there's a harvest out there. Send forth laborers into that harvest. There's one harvest I don't want to go to. I really don't want to go to China. Sorry, Robin. <laughs> that's, that's because of something silly. Anyways, sorry, bunny trail. Um, but we have to begin in that place of prayer. And even that shows the power of prayer itself. Because Jesus isn't saying, hey, get out there right now, all of you. <laughs> I mean, on some level we should be, but instead he turns us first to prayer. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So that shows us the power of the place of prayer. So we have to begin asking ourselves, am I praying for God to send out laborers into the harvest field? His heart is moved with compassion. He wants to meet them. He wants to see salvation. We're living in this time when it says in Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Come into repentance. I will abundantly pardon your sins. We're living in that time now. Once Jesus returns, that time is over and there is no more time to turn back to the Lord. But we're living in this time when labors can be sent out, people can preach the gospel, preach the good news about Jesus, people can turn back to the Lord. And he turns to us and says, pray. Are you praying for the harvest? This is important to me. When Jesus looks across the multitudes in the earth, his heart is moved with compassion. And so that's, that's my prayer for my heart. God, help me to see help my heart move with compassion and help me to pray. <laughs> because again, if he's commanding me to pray, he's not even commanding me to go at this point. If he's commanding me to pray, am I doing that? Am I doing that part of what he's commanding me to do? It's a big part. <clears throat> okay, so we're gonna go on to the next passage. Luke 11, one through 11. It's a lot of ones. Luke 11, 1 through 11. Okay, and in this part, we're going to look at recognizing our need and persistently asking for the Holy Spirit's help in the midst of harvest. Okay. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, Jesus often went off by himself to pray. Okay, we see that in various places uh, in the Gospels. And it was at that point, one of his disciples came and approached him. Would you teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples to pray? So I don't know if um, everyone is aware, which Pastor Jim, he would do a lot better at saying all this than I would because <laughs> he knows a lot more. But John the Baptist, he was... Um, he lived a very fasted lifestyle. It's Jesus' cousin, but he lived in the wilderness in the Qumran Valley, which is the area where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And he was part of what, what scholars believe, part of the Essene community. There was three religious um, ruling classes. That's not the right word, but just three religious groups or factions when Jesus was alive. There was the Pharisees, who were the really knowledgeable uptight ones. <laughs> um, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the afterlife or no, they didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, and then there was the Essene community, again, who were living off in the wilderness. They were all about prayer, and John the Baptist was one of those. He spent 18 years of his life um, out there, the, the scriptures say, um, wearing weird clothes and eating um, bugs. Can you imagine? Which, okay, total side night. Okay, this is a major bunny trail. Um, have you, any of you guys seen the show Primal Survivor? Okay, never mind then. Man, that guy eats some of the nastiest stuff. My kids love watching it, but awful, awful. Okay, that was a huge bunny trip. Man, I thought someone would have seen it. Okay, um, so the Essene community, they were away from society and they delighted to hear God's voice. So John, John had disciples. And there were times when John's disciples, like he would send his disciples to Jesus and ask him like, hey, we're fasting. How come, how come you and your disciples don't fast? So there was really a, a difference between how John and his disciples lived and then how Jesus and his disciples lived. John was accused of, um, I, well, I can't remember, but Jesus was accused of being a wine bibber because Jesus actually did drink alcohol where, where John didn't. He was a Nazarite. Um, so there was a difference, but John's disciples were taught how to pray. 
And Jesus' disciples came to him because they saw him going off in prayer a lot. And what they asked him was, hey, can you teach us how to pray? John's disciples are being taught how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? And what's interesting about this is this is after they had already been empowered to go out and preach the gospel and they had already been releasing signs, miracles, and wonders. So there is something really valuable then when Jesus's disciples are coming to him saying, hey, can you teach us how to pray? Because what is it that you're doing when you're going off in the wilderness at crazy hours of the night? Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Again, it wasn't necessarily just about power because they already were moving in that on some level, okay? So there was something about Jesus's prayer life that they saw and they wanted. Um, so they asked him, they said, teach us to pray just as John was teaching his, his disciples. Um, and so aside from just wanting to be with the Father, I do believe that one of the reasons why Jesus continued to go off was because as a man, he was aware of the lack that he had. You have to, we have to think about this. Um, when he started releasing miracles, people would, were constantly coming up to him, asking of him for things. As a mom of three kids, I cannot handle the amount of asks in a day <laughs> or 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. There's needs, right? Jesus walking around as he started to do miracles and wonders, it draws attention and people begin to come and they have needs. And Jesus met those needs. So he withdrew into places of silence and into the wilderness to pray, I believe, because he, as a man, again, fully God, but he was a man too, and he got tired. He recognized, I do not have what they need apart from the place of me connecting with the Father and receiving an increase of the Holy Spirit. I don't have it what it takes. And I need the connection with my father and I need to be seeking him for the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, even though he was God, continued to say, I only do what the father says, or I only do what the, I see the father doing and I only say what the father is saying. That means that he had to uphold connection he had to uphold connection and communion with the Father. Every day he wasn't waking up just like, oh, what am I gonna do today? I'm just gonna go out and do whatever. I, I'm, I'm endued with power. I have the Holy Spirit on my side. I'm just gonna go out. No, he maintained a place of prayer and communion with the Lord because he knew he wanted obedience because obedience is what? Love language to God. He's like, I wanna be obedient to my Father and so I need to know what is he saying? What is he doing? So that as I go out, I can, I can be moving in agreement with him and be full of him and be releasing him to the people, to the multitudes. So I believe that um, Jesus recognized in his human frame, his great need to be in constant communion with the Father. And that is what the disciples were seeing. They were seeing a man who had a connection with God that was so unlike anything they had ever seen before. 
they would have seen the Pharisees, and we looked at that the first week, the Pharisees who adorned themselves in long robes and were in the temples and sang lofty prayers, but essentially didn't have any power on their life or any ability to draw people to God. But when they saw Jesus, they were seeing something completely different. And that's why they were coming to him like, hey, like teach me how to pray because I want to, I want to encounter the Father that way. Um, let's look at verse five and six. Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So again, when he's saying this parable, he's saying it's like a friend comes to me and they're asking me for bread and I recognize I don't have any bread to give them. I have nothing that they are looking for. Well, it's a really um, ungodly hour, midnight, but I feel impressed upon, I have to give my friend something who's coming to me. So I'm gonna go to my other friend and knock on their door and ask them for bread. Who would do that in this room? <laughs> I don't have anything at midnight. Mm, Robin, I'm gonna come wake you up. Um, <laughs> so he's, <laughs> what, Ramsey? Yeah, I could come over to your house, sure. Uh, so the, the friend who's in bed says, don't bother me. The, the door's shut. I'm, I'm in bed. I don't, I don't want to give up and give you anything. And it says, even though he's his friend, he's not going to go because that's just ridiculous. Like, dude, I'm your friend, but come on. This is ridiculous. Go somewhere else. <laughs> Wait till the morning, right? But the friend who has this other friend coming to them who has need is feeling that pressure and he just begins to continue, it says, with impudence to knock on the door and say, hey, I have need, come and give me what I need. I need bread, I need bread for my friend. Can you please come down, get out of your bed, please, right? See, he's begging. That word impudence, um, it's uh, translated rudeness, taking liberties and impertinence. In the NIV, it says, because of his shameless audacity, the friend arose to give him what he needed. The NKJV says, because of his persistence, the KJV says because of his importunity, which means begging someone to do something. And the NASB says because of his shamelessness. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence, because of his shamelessness, because of his persistence, because of his impertinence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. But then this is what's important because we use that verse a lot out of context. <laughs> and I'm not saying there's not a place for teaching about like whatever. I'm not gonna go into it. But we do use that out of place a lot. In the book of James, I think it's in four. I didn't look it up. It says, you have or you ask, but you don't receive. Basically because you're asking amiss. Um, we ask for a lot of things, you know, again, especially if we're in the Western culture, sometimes our priorities are just off. <laughs> and our needs, 
We don't really know what our needs are. We more ask for wants a lot, right? Um, but Jesus is connecting asking, seeking, and knocking with a good father who will give us bread when we're asking for it, and he connects it to the Holy Spirit specifically, right? It says, it says that in verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So in this whole context, when, when his disciples are coming to him, asking him how to pray, Jesus gives this parable of like, you can, you can be um, persistent, you can be impudent, and you can beg me to give more of the Holy Spirit because you have need and you have friends coming to you who have needs. There are people around you who have needs. They need the power of the Holy Spirit how many of us feel like we are confidently walking in the power of the Holy Spirit that when someone comes up to us needing a touch from God, that they'll get it? I don't always walk in that confidence. And I'm not saying we should walk in a boastful confidence, but what I'm saying is when we are, are in that place with the Lord, communing with him, asking him, God, give me the Holy Spirit because there are multitudes out there who have never felt peace. They have never felt their mind stilled by the peace of God. They have never felt the goodness of God touch their soul. They might have a demon on their back and they can't get free from it, right? There are needs that we can't address in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Jesus, in context to talking about the harvest and prayer, he's saying, be persistent with me in this. You need the Holy Spirit. It is not rude. You will not tire me out. I'm a good father. I want to give you the Holy Spirit. So keep asking me. Like we can never stop asking the Lord for an increase of the Holy Spirit, right? Obviously we have him, but even when you read the book of Acts, in Acts 2, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were filled. They were prophesying. They were speaking in tongues. They were preaching new in new ways that 3,000 people came to the Lord. But then you see in Acts 4, they were crying out to be filled with the Holy Spirit again because they were being met with a level of persecution. So they cried out to the Lord. They lifted up their voices and they prayed and they said, God, like help us in the face of this pressure and persecution, fill us again so that we can continue to preach your word. And it says that the Holy Spirit filled them again and the ground where they were was shaken, okay? So we're filled with the Holy Spirit when we come to the Lord. But I do believe that there is a place for receiving more. <laughs> and so I just always wanna be in that place of, of recognizing there's people coming to, to us. It, it might not even be... Um, like they need a touch from Lord. The, the Holy Spirit, he's a wise counselor, right? Sometimes the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is releasing wise counsel to someone, right? Have you guys thought about that? Because a lot of times um, in our setting, we think of the power of the Holy Spirit being um, healing, a miracle, deliverance, something like that. Wise counsel that can shift someone's life and recognize like, oh, I never thought of that scenario. That can be a gift from the Holy Spirit that is being released.
okay? So when we're asking for an increase of the Holy Spirit, I don't want us to just think about manifestations in the normal charismatic sense. It's having the Holy Spirit of God rest on us to meet the needs of people around us. And he will manifest himself how he desires, but he is the giver of good gifts. And so we want to ask God to, to release those gifts to us so we can um, be ones releasing it around us. Okay. I think that's good. <laughs> I've learned to number my pages. It helps me. Okay. <clears throat> so be persistent. Ask. In the midst of this time we're living in with the harvest, be persistent and ask God for the Holy Spirit, an increase of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to look at Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. When Jesus said pray, he says, basically he, he, he says a parable, and the point of this parable is seek justice through prayer and don't lose heart. Seek justice through prayer and don't lose heart. So not only are we charged to daily align our heart with the Father, um, to pray for strength that we can endure amidst the rising challenges in this age, um, we have labor to do in the harvest. Um, and one of the labors that we have to continually bring our hearts back to is we need to be praying for justice and not lose heart in the face of injustice. Because I believe that we will be in a place of seeing injustices around us until Jesus's return. And we'll look at that in this passage. So I'm gonna go ahead and read it. Luke 18, verse one through eight. <clears throat> It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Um, Okay, so we'll just take a look at this because we don't have much time. Okay, so the parable. This widow is seeking justice. She's seeking justice because she has an adversary and she had to keep going back to an unrighteous judge until she was given justice. And in this parable, Jesus is commanding us to pray, linking our prayers to be directed at injustices. He's linking our prayers that they should be directed at injustices. We should be seeking justice in the place of prayer. Um, so what's important here to, as, as I read this, what I see is that Jesus is linking the ultimate answer to injustice with his return. He's linking the ultimate answer of injustice that we see with his return. Um, 
It says in verse seven, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So he is linking this speedy justice that is going to happen in the earth with his, with his return. Um, the reason why this is important is that as we are laboring in the harvest, there will continue to be the presence of injustice. And we have to get a grid for this because he's telling us, pray continually and don't lose heart. It is our natural inclination to lose strength, to lose confidence, to become overwhelmed when we feel like we're losing, when we feel like we're losing ground, we're not winning. Um, when, when we're seeing injustices arise or sin arise in the earth, what happens is, oh my goodness, <laughs> like, is God even here? Is he doing anything? Why is wickedness prevailing when God's people are praying and when we're here trying to labor, if we continue to see injustice happening, what happens in our hearts is we lose strength and we wanna give up. So that's why Jesus is commanding us specifically, continue to pray and don't lose heart because there will be opportunity for you to, right? He wouldn't command us to not lose heart, he wouldn't command us to continue to pray unless there was an opportunity, a reason why we should lose heart. <coughs> if he said, hey, it's gonna be victory, victory, victory all the way till the end, then we wouldn't have to pray and we wouldn't have to worry about losing heart because it's like, you're just gonna win, awesome. <laughs> we know we're gonna win in the end. But to me, as I read these scriptures, Jesus is saying like, hey, this is gonna be hard. I don't want you to lose heart and I want you to continue to pray and know that ultimate justice will happen when I return. So we have to be assured of God's promises that he has spoken about wickedness, about evil men, about unrighteousness. It will come to an end and the effects of sin will come to an end and the darkness of Satan's kingdom will be completely wiped off the face of the earth. God is just. Remember the widow in this parable is speaking to an unjust judge. Um, and she keeps coming to him to wear him down. But Jesus is inviting us to persistent prayer to a judge, the judge of the earth, who is not unjust, but rather completely committed to justice. He's completely committed to justice and he will release it on the earth. Um, and he wants us to be assured of his promises. So we're gonna look at a couple of scriptures. Psalm 37, one, verses one through two, and then seven through 11. It says, fret not yourselves because of evildoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it lends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. 
In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance of peace. Isaiah 50, verse 7 through 8 says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revelings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. So God's he promises in his word. When he looks at evildoers, when he looks at wickedness, he wants us, like what he says to us, well, no, okay, let's just give a real world example here. Okay, when terrorism begins to arise and we start to recognize like, oh my goodness, like it could happen here, like in our borders, in our land, it even does happen. Look at the college campuses. Have you guys looked at the college campuses, the anti-Semitism and the, the rallies and the things that they do and promote? Um, they, there are entire groups on many college campuses that absolutely hate America and want to partner with jihadists to bring America down. There are moments in history when those things begin to rise up and what happens in the human heart is like, oh my goodness, like my security and my stability and my life, all of a sudden I'm scared of what could happen. But Jesus, when, he, when he's seeing evil arise like that, He's saying, fret not. <laughs> They're going to be cut down. <laughs> like evil is going to be cut down in a moment like grass. Like it's that easy. The injustices that you see, obviously they're horrendous and they're painful. But from God's perspective, one of the perspectives that he has is that evil is going to be cut down. It's going to wither away like a moth. It's going to cease. So he wants our hearts to be stabilized when we see injustices and instead go to the place of prayer and like a persistent widow say, God, release your justice. Release your justice on the earth. This is not okay that wicked men are doing this to other people. I just watched a documentary from uh, Robin Let Me Borrow. The, the infiltration of our, uh, into our school systems of pornography and obscene materials on the minds of children. It's shocking. We don't even know that it's happening. But the, the level of infiltration into the school systems of giving our children materials that are pornographic in nature, and it is written into Indiana state law that they can do this. I, I, I'm just going to go off on a tangent real fast because this was from the movie, so it's fresh in my mind. In the, when, when these people were coming against the Senate to try to get them to take um, this law down that allows obscene materials to be released into public schools, they could not present the materials to the people in power. The, the images were that bad in these books that are being released to children, they were that bad, they couldn't even speak it out in, the, in an adult setting. They said it was obscene to do so. And yet they're allowing it to go into our children. That is a horrendous injustice. And it can cause our hearts to become angry and bitter. But again, we're in a time of harvest. And Jesus says, compassion, cry out to me, the Lord of the harvest, that you can be released into the harvest field and pray for, in, for justice because it will come and it will come speedily. And when it comes, it's gonna be so intense. Will there be faith left in the earth? 
I know there's many ways to read that passages. That's one of the ways that I see it when, when, when I read it. God will answer with justice. Evil is going to arise. And a, another quick thing on this school thing, um, the reality, you think about, I don't even know the statistics of how many kids are in public school that are being um, you know, indoctrinated, if, if you don't like that word, I'm sorry, um, just allowed access to certain materials, but also a, a way of thinking that is not a biblical worldview. And that is the next generation of the majority of people in our nation. So you wanna talk about injustices going to rise in the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? We're gonna be, it's going to increase. The amount of injustices are going to increase, especially for the people of God, because the world that is being trained in unbiblical worldviews are not going to like us even more. <laughs> So I believe, again, I, I'm not trying to be like doomsday or whatever. It's just reality to me that <laughs> injustice is going to arise. And that's why I have to know this passage. Jesus is saying, don't lose heart. Keep praying. I will bring justice. Um, I want to read a couple of uh, passages about when Jesus returns, when he is actually releasing wrath, because um, it's a very graphic picture. Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8 says, God considers it just. Again, he's the just one. We're crying out to him. He considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He considers it just to repay with affliction. Jesus is not a pacifist, but his heart is full of compassion until he's ready to release judgment. It's kind of like that verse that talks about Israel. They're enemies for the sake of the gospel, but they're beloved because of the covenants of their fathers. Like God, he, he, he's not, um, it's not just like he loves or he doesn't. He has great compassion for the multitudes. And at the same time, he holds in his heart wrath if people don't turn back to him. And that's hard for us to do as humans, but he considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict us. That's intense, but it's also good news. And that's why as we're crying out for justice, we can allow vengeance to be left in his hands um, and believe that he will bring it. Psalm 50 verse three says, our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. And I'm gonna just read one more from Habakkuk 3. It says, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed, threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. So that's intense. Those are intense passages about Jesus, about his justice, his ultimate justice when he comes to the earth. Um, and so that's why, again, I believe that he is saying, in the midst of this time that you're living in, when there is a harvest, 
I want you to be praying for the harvest. I want you to be seeing it. I want you to be moving in compassion and praying that I would release labors into it. I want you to be praying that you would have the Holy Spirit. I'm a good father. I'll give you an increase of the Holy Spirit. I want you to have the Holy Spirit so that you can engage with the harvest and give people what they need as they're coming to you, right? Have something of the Holy Spirit. Have something of God to give. And then in the midst of this time, as evil and wickedness is going to arise, I want you to continue to pray for justice and not lose heart and believe that I am coming and I will repay. I will repay those who are doing wicked deeds and be confident in that and glory in that. Praise God. 8.02. Okay, I'll pray. (laughs) So Lord God, I thank you for the place of prayer, Lord, that you desire connection, Lord, that you desire to fill us, that you desire to partner with us, God. You want us to partner with you to see the things that you desire come into the earth. And so, Father, I just pray, teach us how to pray. God, give us unction and confidence in the place of prayer. And Lord, help us every day, God, to come into that place of prayer. God, being confident that you commanded us to this, you commanded us to pray because it's so powerful when we do. So Lord, help us be confident of that. Give us grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 